We're going to continue our study in the book of Judges, and we've come to a man called Jephthah. How many have heard of Jephthah before? A few of you. Judges is a book which shows the life of, his, of the Israelites for about 400 years after they'd conquered the promised land, and how they seem to assimilate more and more the Canaanite ways until they have no proper understanding of the nature and character of God, and how they go through this cycle of sin, oppression, rescue, repentance, rescue, peace, and then into sin again. They go through this cycle, and we see it story after story in the book of Judges. The introduction to the story of Jephthah is found in Judges 11. And previously, we've had Othniel and Ehud and Deborah. And they were pretty good judges. And then we had Gideon, and he was an okay judge. He, he led the people, he led the army to defeat the enemy that had come to oppress them. But afterwards, he took a collection from the people and um, formed and made an idol, which they started to worship, and led them back into the very idolatry that the oppressors had come on the back of in the first place. So he was sort of an okay judge. Um, yeah, and then we get to Jephthah, who, who really... There isn't a great deal to commend him, to be honest. And uh, I was looking at uh, somebody's comments on the book of Judges, and they said that, you know, when you get to Jephthah, they were, the, the last judges were pretty bad. You know, their lifestyles were awful. You know, Samson lived a horrendous life, and yet God used him. And one of the things that comes out in this is that God uses flawed people to do his work. You see, the thing is, that's all he's got to work with. Flawed people, sinners, people who get it wrong, people who mess up. And those are the people he uses, because that's all he's got. So the lead into this story of Jephthah actually starts in the book of Judges, chapter 10, and the last uh, verses in chapter 6. See if it's going to come up. It's not coming up on my screen. Okay, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtaroth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed into the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress. Finally, they cried out to the Lord for help, saying, We have sinned against you because you have we have abandoned you as our God and have served the images of Baal. The Lord replied, Did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Manoites? When they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, We have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord, and he was grieved by their misery. Oh, that's a great sentence, Annie. God was grieved by that it hurt him, that they were so in distress. 
At that time, the armies of Ammon had gathered for war and were camped in Gilead, and the people of Israel assembled and camped in Mizpah. The leaders of Gilead said to each other, whoever attacks the Ammonites first will become ruler over all the people of Gilead. Okay, so the next chapter then, that's the end of chapter 10, and chapter 11 starts with the account of Jephthah. And it starts off by telling us this about him. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. Um, when you look up that word in the Hebrew, it, it, it can mean a man of valor or renown, or it could mean a bit of a, a brawler. So, you know, maybe he, he was a, a rough guy, a bit of a brawler. Uh, he was the son of Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you're the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. So you get the idea what this guy's like. You know, he's not had a very good start, in, particularly in their society at the time. To be the son of a prostitute was a, a shameful thing. And... Um, you know, he gets driven out of the family home. You've got no inheritance. We don't want you. And he, he goes off and this gang of worthless rebels sort of attach themselves to him. We don't know what they're doing, this gang of rebels, what they're getting up to. Um, and that's where we leave Jephthah for a moment. And then you get the um, leaders of Gilead coming and uh, being attacked by the Ammonites and they start actually uh, not just oppressing them, but starting warring against them. And so they start to gather an army. And they say, Whoever is, um, whoever's going to lead us and, and tax first, we'll make him the leader. And they actually go to Jephthah and ask him to come back and lead the army. And Jephthah says, Oh, you want me now, do you? Didn't want me before, but you want my muscle now. And they pleaded with him, and he, he eventually agreed, and they, they said, we, we, we vow to you that if you lead us and defeat the Ammonites, we will make you leader over us. And so the first thing that Jephthah does is he writes a letter to the leader of the Ammonites, and he says, why are you attacking us like this? What have we done? So the leader of the Ammonites writes back, and he says, well, when you came into the land 300 years before, you stole the land off us. And so we want it back. And Jephthah writes back, and Jephthah knows his history. Because he said, hang on a second. When we tried to come into the land that God had promised us, we went to the king of Edom and asked if we could peacefully go through his land. And he said, no, you can't. So we didn't. And then we went to the, the, the leader of Moab and said, can we come through your land peacefully? And they said, no, you can't. He said, and then we came to you and we said, can we come through the land? And you didn't just say, no, you can't. You started to fight us. You sent an army against us. And, and we fought back and we prevailed because God was on our side. And God's given us this land. We didn't steal it from you. You attacked us. God helped us. He gave us the land. It's our land. And by the way, you've had 300 years to claim it back. Why didn't you come earlier? But the, the leader of the Ammonites took no notice and uh, went into battle and 
Jephthah led the army and uh, defeated the Ammonites. It says that uh, several times that, uh, first of all, he says it, it, God gave us the land in the first place, and it's God that's going to give it back to us. And then he makes this incredible vow. He asks God, he said, if you will give me victory in this battle, I will dedicate to you as a burnt sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. Now he's trusting God for the battle, but he's treating God like the Canaanite gods that need something to appease them. You see, over all these years of them serving these idolatrous gods, he'd lost the understanding of who God really was. He'd lost the understanding of how loving and kind God was towards them as a people. And he felt that he'd got to do something to uh, show that uh, he, he meant what he said and, and to appease this God and offer this sacrifice. If you do this for me, then I will do this for you. And God gives him the victory and he goes home and the first thing to walk out of the house is his one and only daughter. He's gutted. He is gutted. Now, if it was you and me, we'd go on our knees before God and say, God, I was made a stupid vow there. You know, release me from it. It was not a sensible thing to say. I was not thinking. But no, because he still has this superstitious fear of this God. That if he doesn't fulfill the vow, something worse might happen to him. And so his daughter asks for two months to go with her friends into the countryside to mourn the fact that she'll never get married, she'll never have children. And amazingly, she comes back. I think if it was me, I'd have, I'd have gone and run out. You wouldn't see me again, Dad, sorry. But she comes back and she submits to her father. And the Bible says that she, in one of the vers versions, she, she died a virgin. Now, I've looked at this because the word that's used, burnt sacrifice, does have a, a, a sort of a broader meaning to it. And I've, I've looked it up. But... I think there's well over 130 uses of this word in the Old Testament and all but two speak of burnt sacrifices. So it's very difficult to argue the case that he didn't actually sacrifice his daughter. Very difficult. What a stupid thing to do. What an insensitive vow to make for his daughter. I think some of the things we can learn from Jephthah is that uh, the importance of faith, first of all, because he did trust God to help him in the battle. It does say in, 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 in the story that the Holy Spirit came upon Jephthah in order to strengthen him to lead the people into battle. So he had a faith in God, this flawed man had a faith in God, and God honoured that faith in as much as he helped him to do the task he was called to do. And that gives me encouragement 
because I'm a flawed man. You know, it's lovely what Sonia prays over me, you know, man of faith, man of power. But the truth is, I'm a flawed man. I get things wrong. I do things wrong. I say things that hurt. I sin. I have thoughts that I shouldn't have. I'm a flawed man. And yet this gives me encouragement that even in my flawed state, I can have a faith in God that will bring about results and change. As I said, his faith was not in his own ability. He was a man, we read, he was a, a, a warrior, a valiant man. Maybe he was a brawler. But he wasn't scared in a fight. He was quite, you know, ready to go and you know, get stuck in. But he knew he couldn't do it on his own. He needed the help of God to do it, to break the hold of this enemy over his people. The other thing we can get from this story is the fact that Jephthah had a poor image generally of God. He'd got this image from the junk that the nation had taken on board of these idol gods that you had to make sacrifices to in order to appease them. You know, the, the, the gods they talk about, Baal and Ashtaroth, were fertility gods. And they did, they did all sorts of things to uh, appease the gods so that they would have, um, you know, their, their, their lambs would give birth and not miscarry and their, their cattle would give birth to healthy animals and that their crops would grow in the field. All things that God said he would do for them if they were obedient to him. But they went to these other gods and he started to have a mindset of the fact that you've got to appease God in order for him to do good for you. And you know, Christians still can have that mindset where we think, we, well, God won't do this for me because I'm like that. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He comes and whispers in our ears sometimes, doesn't he? And says, you can't do that because of that. And it might be stuff that's years old, but he, he rakes it up, doesn't he? And tells you what a rotten, awful person you are and how can God do things for you? How can you have faith to trust God for this when you've You've been this awful person. And we have to get past that. We have to recognize, yes, we are sinners, but we're saved by grace. We are children of the living God. And God is for us, not against us. We don't have to do anything to appease him because he has already done everything needed for appeasement. He sent Jesus to die for our sin. He took our place on the cross so that we could go free, not guilty, as we receive that offer of salvation which he brings us. So the enemy has no right to accuse you, and the only authority he has is when you let him, those, let, let him make those accusations and you believe them, and you take on board what he says. That's when you give the enemy authority. Otherwise, he has no authority over you because you are a child of God. I think the other thing we learn from Jephthah is the importance of thinking before we speak. <laughs> you know, 
I remember when Mrs. Thatcher was in government. How many remember Mrs. Thatcher in government? You've got to be of a certain age for this. But she made a statement in the Commons one day. This woman's not for turning. I'm not going back on what I've said. And everybody thought she was really strong because of that statement she made. And so it sort of became a mantra in Parliament. So now, if government gets something wrong, it's seen to be weak to say, guys, we got it wrong, we need to redo it, rethink it. It's seen as weakness, and they want the MPs or ministers, whatever, to resign. And it all came from this um, culture that Maggie Thatcher started in that one statement, this woman's not for turning, because it's, it was seen to be a strength of character not to say, I've got it wrong and I need to redo it. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. He, he wants us to recognize our shortcomings. He wants us to recognize when we've got things wrong. And he wants us to go to him and say, God, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Help me to do the right thing. Some of the most powerful things you can say to your children when they're growing up and you've, you've messed up in front of them is to go to them and say, kids, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. You know, mom and dad aren't perfect and I got that wrong, but we'll, let's do the right thing. It's very powerful because it teaches them um, that they can express when they've got things wrong and it also shows them what forgiveness looks like. The church I went to in Nottingham was a fairly big church, congregation of about 1,500 people. And uh, in the early years that we were there, when there was probably only about 250, 300 people in the church, the church got into debt. And the senior uh, minister there stood up and said, we are not going into debt ever again. You know, if we can't afford it, we won't have it. And we won't take out any loans. We won't do this. We won't do that. And it set, it set a boundary on finances, which eventually became a millstone to the church. And eventually he had to say that was for then. And it was a right statement then. But it's not a right statement for now. As they were looking to expand and purchase an additional property. But it became a bit of a millstone and, a, and a, a bottleneck to the church growing and doing the things that it wanted to do. I think the other thing that Je the story of Jephthah shows us is that our past does not define our future. Our past does not define our future. He was the son of a prostitute. He was kicked out of his family and ostracized. That was his past, but it didn't define his future. When they called him back to lead them in the army into battle, yes, he said, oh, you want me now, do you? Sort of thing. And he could have said, no, you kicked me out. That's, that defines our relationship. But he didn't. Because... He knew who he was, and he recognized that God was calling him for that time to do that particular task. 
and he eventually became the leader, the one who'd been kicked out and said, you have no part, no inheritance, eventually became the leader of the people and they had to submit to him. Our past does not define our future. Whatever you've been in the past doesn't determine what God has for you in the future. It doesn't bar you from it. Now, there's a sense where some of the past has been uh, out of kilter with God's kingdom ways, then there needs to be repentance and putting it right. But then that will not define where God wants to take you in the future. I'm just thinking whether I should tell this story or not. I think I will. Yes. Church I grew up in, before I was born, one of the members of the church had an affair with another member of the church. And it was all dealt with, put right. He was helped and counselled and um, moved on. And uh, his marriage was saved. And uh, they, they lived happily ever after, if you like. Um, he was a good man. He was a wise man. And he would have made an excellent elder in the church. Because of that misdemeanor years before, which he'd repented of and put right and sorted out before God and done everything as he should have done, he was still barred from being an elder in the church. So the, the, the leadership allowed his past to define his future. He was allowed to play the piano and lead the worship, but he couldn't become an elder because of what had happened by then, 20 years in the past and he'd seen to be a man of honour and integrity since that time and yet he was barred from being an elder we shouldn't let the things of the past if they're dealt with properly disbar people from what God has for them in the future and neither should you about the things in your life you may look at your life and think there's stuff there and I, I feel so bad about it, feel so guilty, so full of shame about it, that uh, I just can't go any deeper into God. I can't grow in anything in ministry or anything in the church because I carry this junk. No, if it's been repented of, properly dealt with, then it's gone. The Bible says that our sins have been put in the deepest ocean. He's put them away from us as far as the east is from the west. So far as he taken our transgressions from us. So those are just some of the things that I got from, from Jephthah. Some of the thoughts that I had as I was looking at this man who was a flawed leader, not a good one particularly um, in many ways. And yet in his flawedness, he had faith in God. In his flawedness, he didn't let his past define his future. Um, he had faith to overcome limitations that had been placed on him. And uh, I just want to encourage you this morning. Where do you see the things that might be limiting you from moving on deeper in your walk and your relationship with Father God? What is the that is there that you think, no, I could never be whatever the 
you, you know, that is because of such and such. Just stop a moment and think about that. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Father God. You've never come to that place where you've uh, recognised that your sin is a barrier between you and God. Never recognised that there's something there that's in the way. And God's made a way for that barrier of sin for you to be broken down. He sent Jesus, who pulled down that barrier on the cross, took your punishment, took your shame, and in return, God gives you his life, his glory, and eternal life in Jesus. Maybe you've never made that step. It's a simple thing to do, but it's a profound thing to do. It's a simple action, but it's not to be taken lightly because if you choose to follow Jesus, then you choose to follow his ways, not just today, but for the rest of your life. Which means that maybe some of the stuff you're involved in at the moment is going to have to be put aside in order to follow God's kingdom ways. The sacrifices to make, even though entry into salvation is very simple, it's coming before God and saying, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life, come into my heart, whatever phrase you want to use. Clean me, make me new for you, Father God. But then that's the simple entry, but the, the ongoing walk with God is challenging, is sacrificial. Yeah. It's a battle sometimes. So I don't want to make it seem that salvation is an easy option. It's not. Jesus said, you know, if you follow me, you're going to have troubles in this world. <laughs> it's tough. It takes strong people to live it out on a daily basis. So where are we at? Stuff that's preventing you from fulfilling all that God has for you or just the very sin that you've got preventing you from a relationship with Father God. Those can all be dealt with very easily in Jesus. And maybe those of you that have got stuff that's holding you back, maybe a little bit of help from Lighthouse Ministry as well. I'm going to plug you, Andy. <laughs> okay. Let's pray.